Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A portion of scripture for our meditation this evening is recorded in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6. We'll read it now. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we go on living in it? Or we, we died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, therefore, buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin. And since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, also, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer the members of your body to sin as tools of unrighteousness. Instead, offer yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and offer the members of your body to God as tools of righteousness. Indeed, sin will not continue to control you because you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? That's Paul's big question, right? At the beginning of our section that we're focusing on tonight. Words. Does living under God's grace give us license, excuse, the permission to sin? I've had a number of conversations with people in adult instruction class who, who have just gone through the lessons on sin and grace and justification by faith alone. And often this is their question. Wait, so you're saying that God has removed the penalty for my sin by nailing it to Christ's cross. You're saying that it is apart from anything I do that God has declared me justified and righteous in his sight. So does that mean that I could just live however I want? 
totally disregard any standards of right and God will just forgive me at the end? They're asking that question along with the, the snarky philosopher who said something like, well, isn't this great? See, I love sinning and God loves forgiving. It's a wonderful arrangement. Is that the way it is? That's Paul's big question, right? And what we realize is that, that Paul's question is actually getting at something more than Christian behavior. He's getting, more at, more than, he's getting at more than just the question of what do Christians do? The question underneath the question, the question that he unfolds the answer for, for us so so well, so fully in this section from Romans chapter 6 is really a question of Christian identity. What is a Christian? What does a Christian's life look like? If we are set free from the guilt of our sin, what does that manifest itself as day to day of a believing, baptized Christian. Who are you? And what does that mean for your relationship with sin and your relationship with God? And Paul answers that question of identity. He answers it by pointing you not to commands and standards and laws. He doesn't do it by, by pointing you to, you better or else. What he points you to is your baptism. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He uses the strongest possible Greek negative, absolutely not. It's unthinkable. We are Died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too also would walk in a new life. Who are you? What Paul does is he answers that question totally in reference to Christ. Paul says, we are who have died to sin. You see, we, we used to be alive to sin. In fact, from the moment we came into being, from the moment we became a person, we lived to sin. Sin was what ruled our hearts, our lives, and our bodies. And sin is what manifested itself in our hearts and our lives and our bodies. Wherever we went, it was who we were. We were ruled by sin. But in our baptism. God took our lives, lived to sin, and he ended them. 
He didn't end them by drowning us and sending us to hell. He ended them by uniting us to Jesus by faith. And as the water ran together with God's promise and word, he covered us in Christ. So that what is true of Jesus, he counts as true of us. See, in his incarnation, as he took on our humanity, Jesus united himself to us and entered into our world, a world ruled by sin. And though he never gave in to sin, he went to the cross and took all of our sin on himself so that he would receive its wages of death and hell in our place. But when he had suffered death and hell, sin's power over him was spent. It had done its worst. It had fired its last shot and had nothing left it could do to him. He had died to sin. And for most people, that would be the end of the story. Right? Death and hell are the final stop on sin's railroad but not for Jesus. Because of his perfect faithfulness to God the Father and his perfect submission to the plan of salvation, he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father and now he lives a life after death and sin. He is alive to God and now he serves his Father as the ruler of all things and the Savior of humanity, until he comes again. This is Jesus. And this is what God the Father united us to in our baptism. Through the promise connected with the water, God the Father gave to us, counted to us, Jesus' death and his resurrection life. God gave to us Jesus' relationship to sin and Jesus' relationship to God. First, when it comes to sin, in Christ, we are beyond its clutches. Because our life of sin, the life that we were born into, is connected with Jesus in baptism. That life lived in sin has been buried in Christ's grave. It is dead and finished. God has broken sin's power over us. It doesn't control our hearts, our lives, our bodies. We aren't bound to manifest sin in the world through our thoughts and words and actions. Along with Jesus, we are dead to sin. It's no wonder that that Paul reacts so strongly to the suggestion that we could so willingly live with sin in our lives, right? It would be like if if you retired from your job on Friday. You had a nice send-off party and you made a nice speech, did all, all your recollecting and all of your goodbyes, and then you went home for the weekend, but on Monday, you went back into work. Your boss would look at you and say, what in the world are you doing here? This makes no sense. You made a clean break with your place of employment. Why are you back here? It's absurd. It's 
Like if you made the last payment on your mortgage, wrote the check, sent it into the bank, closed out the account, had a little party to celebrate owning your house outright, but then at the beginning of the next month, you sat down and wrote another check and sent it to the bank. Your bank would call you up on the phone and say, what in the world are you doing? You already finished that. It's done. Why are you revisiting your mortgage? You own your house. It's absurd. Here's the truth. A baptized Christian, living as if sin still over them, shows that they are totally disconnected from the reality that they're living in. Totally disconnected. Totally unaware of your identity in Christ. But our identity in Christ is not just dead to sin. We are also, by God's grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit, creating faith in our heart and connecting us to Jesus, we, to, to Jesus, we are also alive with Christ to God. That's the second thing that God the Father gives us in baptism. Jesus' relationship with his heavenly Father becomes our relationship with our heavenly Father. Where we used to be separated from him by sin, now we are welcomed into his family. Where we used to be at war with him, now we are at peace. Because we are clothed in Christ, the Son of God, God considers us to be sons and heirs. And he promises us every good thing, including the resurrection of our bodies and eternal life in a new creation. So think about that. In your baptism, God has given you that life. It's not something that you're only looking forward to. It's only a future reality. It's a present reality. The life that you have in Christ is eternal life. Life that death cannot end. And one day, one day soon, your body will be brought into the reality that your soul already now enjoys by faith. Eternal life. Life after death. Now that makes a difference in how we live in our lives, doesn't it? It makes a difference for, for how we think about the, the menu of options, the menu of sin in front of us. Imagine that you are going to family and you have a, a long drive to get there. And along the way, you're going to pass a lot of fast food restaurants. Right? And, and the food they serve isn't good for you, it's not really satisfying, it's not really even nutritious, and you probably won't feel very good if you eat it. But if you are headed to your destination and you know that the only people that are waiting to meet you when you get there are your, say, college-aged cousins who can hardly turn on the oven, they're not going to have any food waiting for you. And so, well, you probably... Decide because you're hungry, stop and satisfy just for a little bit that hunger with junk food. But the thing changes, right? The situation changes if you know that it's grandmother that's waiting at your destination and she has promised you that when you get there, she is going to have prepared a, a full spread of your favorite meal with all the fixings, everything you like most. 
then there's no way you're stopping for fast food on the way. You're going to push on through even though your stomach may growl because you know that the good stuff is waiting for it and you don't want to ruin it by filling yourself up with junk food before you get there. See, why would I fill up my stomach with junk food if I've got the most delicious thing I've got ima- it, it, that I can imagine waiting for me? And why would I fill my life with the pleasures of this world when eternal pleasure and true satisfaction is already mine? In baptism, God gave you a new identity. An identity in Christ. What he looks at Christ and sees, he sees in you. He sees you as dead to sin. And he sees you as alive to him now and for eternity. By God's grace, your sins are forgiven and their iron grip on you is broken. And so, what does Paul say? Is the life of a Christian this side of heaven? Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. God has given you an identity in Christ, the identity of his child, the identity of his living person forever in Christ's resurrection life. So Paul says, think of yourself that way. Identify yourself that way. When sin comes knocking, temptation comes alluring, find your identity in Christ. You're baptized. You're dead to sin. How could we live in it any longer? And when this life gets long and hard and the heart within you is gnawing with hunger for something to satisfy it and you see all those things that promise satisfaction in this world, keep your eyes on your identity. I live with Christ's everlasting life. The resurrection is mine. God's satisfaction is mine forever. Why would I fill up on junk food? How are you doing with that self-identification? How are you doing at seeing yourself as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? None of us will kid ourselves. None of us will, will claim that our lives are actually free from all traces of sin. All of us recognize what Paul writes elsewhere and what Luther puts so poignantly in his explanation of baptism and what it means for our daily lives, that there is an old self that still hangs on that still wants to be the true me that wants to be my identity 
And so it wrestles over every situation, every decision, every fork in, in the road, trying to steal the steering wheel and the driver's seat away from this new identity God has given us in Christ. What shall we do? Shall we give in to sin when our sinful nature rears its head? Absolutely not. Baptism means that the old Adam in us should be drowned by daily sorrow and repentance and that all its evil deeds and desires be put to death. Baptism means that whenever the sinful nature rears its ugly head, whenever the devil confronts you with temptations, you have something to return to. You have an identity that is solid and unchanging, founded on Christ, derived from Christ. You are, in God's sight, dead to sin and alive to him in Christ Jesus. And so when the sinful nature rears its ugly head, we turn to our God, not in fear of punishment, but in faith and repentance, bringing our sin, setting it at the foot of our Savior's cross. And then we draw from his gospel promise in baptism, promises including including the forgiveness of sins, but also including resurrection life. Take the power of Christ's resurrection to fight that temptation and to turn back the devil's attacks. Every day, we drown the old Adam in us in the waters of baptism and the new man, the new identity that God gives us there arises again to live before him in righteousness and purity forever. The question of identity, of Christian identity, your identity, is settled. Indeed, sin will not continue to control you because you are not under law, but under grace. Return to that grace daily. Return to your baptism. Relive it in repentance. And receive the life and the power of Christ to go forward every day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.